0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio,
1: episode number 90. I'm Sean. Slap me thrice and hand me to my mama. I'm Jack. (laughs) It's the best line of this movie. It is. Gibbs
0: has... Gibbs is understated sometimes with his comedy. The comedic timing of Kevin McNally throughout this entire uh, trilogy has been really, really good. He, he has been one of the unsung heroes of the trilogy,
1: I think. I don't know. I, I don't think people appreciate him, but I always have. Right. I've always loved him. Like, to me, he's not a background character. He's an integral part of everything.
0: Yeah, but I think most people just get obsessed with Jack Elizabeth. Barbosa will and and he kind of falls to the background but sure does he hold up in this film the way he does in the first two do any of them that's what we're here to talk about the epic conclusion of the original pirates of the caribbean trilogy we talked i'm not going to say waxed poetic we waxed poetic about curse of the black pearl we had very differing opinions when it came to Dead Man's Chest. So let me ask you. A year after Dead Man's Chest is released. Getting ready to go to the theaters. You probably went to the Comac Multiplex. And didn't know if your car would be there when you came out. <laughs> right? Uh, number one location for car theft in Suffolk County.
1: And now Corona protesting.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, walking into that movie theater. Excited. Nervous or cautiously optimistic when it came to At World's End?
1: Good question. Um, Definitely excited, but probably more cautiously optimistic than anything else, because I was so angry that they left that second one on a cliffhanger.
0: Yeah, I think at, at best I was cautiously optimistic going into this movie, because I, the first time I saw Dead Man's Chest, I really did not like it at all. And and I mentioned last week, it's not that the movie gets better every time I watch it. I just get a little bit more out of it. So going into this, I was very cautiously optimistic. Because I thought there's the real potential for them to just beat a dead horse here. And I, I honestly believed that what they were doing because the fall off and I still think this is true to this day, the fall off in quality of film between curse of the black pearl and dead man's chest is staggering. No matter how many times you've seen it.
1: Right. And for me too, it was because I loved black pearl so much. I was like, am I still going to love pirates as a whole now? Because it did sort of leave a bad taste in my mouth as far as, you know, being obsessed with this franchise because after the second one, I really wasn't because it just wasn't as nearly as good.
0: Yeah. I want to at the end of this episode though, because we're going to obviously recap the film, but we'll recap the trilogy. And I want to pose the question of after seeing At World's End, did you like Dead Man's Chest more? I'm not going to pose that question to you now because we have not yet reviewed the movie. But I will tell you, like, for example, I love the James Bond films, as you know. I love them almost as much as I love the other two movies that I talk about every week on this show. However, Quantum of Solace is a bridge movie that leads to nothing. And so I really dislike it. And, have, and I've watched it once, and I only own the Blu-ray because I have all of
1: the Bond movies on Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, I really didn't like Quantum. A- at all. Especially coming off of... It, similarly... You come off of Casino Royale, which I think actually is probably my favorite James Bond film by far. Hands down. Um and then you do Skyfall after like there's the quality of film the bread on the sandwich should not be better than the meat. And that
1: was <laughs> that's a great that analogy. was
0: exactly what happened with Quantum of Solace. Does that happen with Dead Man's Chest? Well,
1: that's what I was going to say and I think that's where I was so I was so anticipating this one like it wasn't just being cautiously optimistic I was highly anticipating this because I was like please redeem something that I love so much right and I have to admit
0: I thought they got off To a really good start. Holy cow. The movie opens with pirates that are being hung at the command of Lord Beckett. They're being hung basically for either aiding and abetting pirates or being pirates themselves. And they begin to sing Hoist the Colors as a way of not so much protesting their fate, so much as it is that they're standing together. And... It's an unbelievable open, and what makes it so good? The song, sure, and we'll talk about that in a minute. but what it's the child. Yep. it's the child that is hung, the child that is brought to the gallows, because they're hanging them, I think, six at a time. I think there's six they're about I think, six yeah. nooses at a time. And the way that they, that they show that this is going to happen, because the, the other five come up. And then slowly you start to see this, this head that's sort of hung coming up the stairs. And you hear the rattle of the chains. And you see that it's, it's, it's a child. And you think to yourself, they're not really going to go there, are they? And they give him a footstool to stand on so that his neck can reach the noose. I thought from the go... I went, I went with my friend Devin to see the movie, and when that kid stepped up at the gallows, we turned at each other and said, there's no way, and they actually make good on it, and I said, you know what, they're really—either <laughs> either this was their plan the whole time, or they're really trying to make up for Dead Man's Chest—
1: That was instantly what I thought. I was like, all right, forget whatever gripes I had with the second movie. This is such a strong start that it completely redeems everything in the first five minutes. And the way that the scene just builds, too, because there's a line of people. I mean, you've got what? Probably... I bet you there's 200, 200 people. people. there? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe even more. And then you see the, the pile of pile boots. The pile of boots, exactly. So, like, you know that Beckett is being completely cutthroat. You know that he has been fully realized as a villain because he's killing mass amounts of people. And that's hard enough, and, and it's very strong and very dark imagery in and of itself. Yeah. And then... You know, they start the chant and it's like, okay, you're still not going to get these pirates down. And then they just go for the jugular with this kid. I couldn't believe they did it. Honestly, the Walking Dead pilot has nothing on this scene.
0: The opening scene of the Walking Dead pilot when Rick sees the little girl with the doll is what you. Yeah, Yeah. no, this is that one's rough.
1: But like this wrote the book.
0: Absolutely. And what's even more disturbing than the child being led to the gallows is Beckett's grin. When yes. he is told they're starting to sing and he says, finally, and he starts to smile. That is even more disturbing than the child. And what that does for me, and I liked him anyway, but it, it was at this moment in the franchise that I'm sold on Beckett as a villain.
1: These are really my favorite kind of villains because they're just so monotone you know, without anger and rage, you really don't know what they're going to do next. Yeah. So you know he's got some horrible grand design. Right.
0: And Hoist the Sails, or uh, Hoist the Colors, um, I should say, um, it it was written for this film, which I did not know until recently.
1: Because it's such a spot-on like sea shanty. It's yeah. perfect. Um, Hans Zimmer wrote it with Gore Verbinski. They actually did it... Um, You know, and to your point, too, you were saying before you didn't know if they had this plan the whole time. I think they did because they shot the second and third back to back. So they were doing both films. I mean, obviously, the second one has to come out first. They're under more of a deadline. But they were shooting into the third while still working on the second with certain actors and certain companies. Um, So I think they knew that they were going to go for it. But because... Gore was still on location and Hans Zimmer was, I think, in London on another project. They did the whole thing over like iChat or something. That's right. It was way before Zoom, I think even before FaceTime. And uh even Gore had a hand in writing some of the melody for it, which is pretty cool that he got involved so creatively. But uh I, I think it's perfect. And I like that the melody is used throughout the rest of the film as part of the score.
0: Yeah. So getting out of this scene, we then see that Elizabeth Barbosa and the crew of the Black Pearl have traveled to Singapore to visit Captain Sal Feng, um, and they tell him that the song has been sung and the pirate lords must meet at Shipwreck Cove, including Jack Sparrow, who is currently stuck in Davy Jones' locker. Feng reveals that he has captured Will Turner, who is attempting to steal the navigational charts that lead to Jack. Beckett's men attack as they fight them off, um, or as as they have to fight them off. Will strikes a deal with Feng, giving him Jack in exchange for the Pearl in order to free his father from Davy Jones' locker. Meanwhile, Beckett reunites... Admiral Norrington, he's not a Commodore, but he is an Admiral with his sword while also acknowledging that Governor Swan has now worn out his usefulness the crew of the pearl using the navigational charts set off for the land of the dead to get jack back and we learn that beckett has been using the dead man's chest as well as davy jones's heart as leverage against jones and forces him to sail under beckett's command so a lot is happening here let's go back to singapore for a minute because Something that I think this movie does better than Dead Man's Chest. Dead Man's Chest has, we talked about it, the scenes drag out for way too long. There's way too much back and forth. There's a lot of backstabbing. And it gets confusing and convoluted. Mm -hmm. In this film, there is probably just as much back and forth I'd say there's even more backstabbing, because now you have certain characters that are starting to get into self-preservation mode, some that are getting into panic mode, and some that are like Jack that are sort of floating in the middle between being panicked and self-preserving.
1: And a big one is that Will and Elizabeth are not even really working together anymore. They're hardly They can't, yeah, they can't trust each other.
0: Right. They're kind of off doing their own thing on two separate ships, but different than Dead Man's Chest is in spite of all of that, I do think that the pacing in this film is far superior to that of Dead Man's Chest.
1: I would agree with that because there is probably just as much going on, actually more, because they're cramming more into scenes, but not in a way that feels forced. Right. So much better pacing out of the gate. Uh, What I love about singapore is that they and the film does this really well as a whole they start to deliver on throwaway lines yes so singapore was you know a re- what uh captain jack referenced when he was like clearly you've never been In to singapore. singapore when he ripped off uh, elizabeth's corset and he saved her um so i like that they were able to build a whole world on that and we actually get to see you know one of these places that he's been and he's had an adventure. Um,
0: yes, this disgusting bathhouse.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, and but it again, it doesn't feel forced. Like I think the set design is absolutely amazing. I think it fits in the pirate world. I I certainly think because everything is built on these rickety looking stilts over the water. I feel like you would see that in the parks or on a ride.
0: And and when we took the tour of the Disney Studios, they did point out one of the sound stages where they had shot some of the Pirates of the Caribbean films and they had said at one point they had filled a pool in. And you and I were trying to remember exactly what scenes had been shot there and it wasn't until I saw the behind-the-scenes photographs and videos and what what it, uh, what confirmed it for me was the ceiling in mm-hmm. the soundstage, that Singapore was that swimming pool in the soundstage and that they had the pool and they built everything above and they had Kira Knightley in her little boat, sailing in that pool.
1: Yeah, I mean, they really built everything. They didn't just do a set. Like, they really did recreate an entire village there. It's it's really impressive. Um, what I like about the scene, too, is that it sets up another theme we're going to see throughout the whole movie, is that, you know, and again, it starts to deliver on things that they've been planting the entire time, Is Elizabeth is by herself, and she gets... Not exactly catch, captured, but she gets um, confronted yeah. by one of Southang's men. And uh, immediately Barbosa's at her side. So you see, when you think about where they were in the beginning and how they met, and you think back to her initial parlay, now they're working together. So it sets up this whole idea of the enemy of the enemy is my friend. And that's something you're going to see throughout this movie.
0: Right. And it also shows, and you'll see it more as the film goes on as well, that. In the second film, really, from the end of The Black Pearl and into the second movie, you really start to see Will turning to pirate life and turning to piracy and really sort of embracing the lifestyle while still trying to have a conscience. In the second movie, Elizabeth's trying, but we said that we weren't really buying her. We didn't love what they were doing with her character in the second film. In this film, not only does it Bridge the gap between her and Barbosa, and now they're working with each other. But I think the transition that Will Turner made between the first and second movie is the same transition that Elizabeth is making. It was just a lot more jagged because of um, her sort of confusing storyline in Dead Man's Chest.
1: I'm actually going to disagree well somewhere the biggest difference somewhere between the second and third will got a little earring he's got a little hoop now yeah so so we're we're really going down a steep slope into piracy um looking at these movies now i kind of feel like as much teeter-tottering as elizabeth does in the second one i feel like dead man's chest is her movie and world's end is his movie um And I'll get a little bit more into that and why I feel that way when we wrap up the trilogy as a whole.
0: Sure. Um, In this scene, you see that uh, Fang says that if he were to pull Jack Sparrow um, out of Davy Jones' locker, it would be so that he could send him back there himself. And Will Turner strikes a deal with him. And then later in the movie, spoiler, Will Turner also strikes a deal with Beckett. So if you want to talk about how... Elizabeth and Barbosa are now working with each other. You can see where Will is starting to pull a little bit of influence from Jack as well, because rather than just striking one deal and keeping to it, which was very much his thing in the first film, he's now striking deals with whoever he needs to strike a deal with at the time he needs to strike a deal with them. And he's backstabbing everybody.
1: Exactly. Totally self-preservation like Jack. But the difference is that Will has a very specific goal in mind. Yeah, Jax is the pearl and whatever adventures he he's going to experience as a result of that. This is one goal, reuniting with his father and nothing is going to stop him.
0: Yeah. Um we then have uh Beckett brings Norrington back and I was glad to see I was glad to see Norrington again. But I was not in love with the fact that he is now an admiral and he's back working with the Royal Navy or now working for the East India Trading Company because I liked of of all of the things I disliked about Dead Man's Chest I think the one thing I liked most of all was where they were going with drunk dejected Norrington and I wanted to see more of that play out and obviously he has a character arc in this film but I I did not love seeing him back in this role initially.
1: I do, but I love it because it feels wrong. And, you know, they do deliver on that arc, but I love that he is so conflicted at this point because he has sold everyone out to redeem himself and clear his name. But when Beckett, because they've got... um they've got Governor Swan working in Beckett's office. So when Beckett sort of announces his plan, you know, he gives you a little bit about what he's going to do. There's an exchange between Governor Swan and Norrington, and they know that the people they care about are in trouble. So you know that even though he has stepped up and he wants to redeem himself, he's still attached to that past life. Maybe he's just not drunk and disheveled anymore, but you're starting to see where his loyalty really lies.
0: Right. We also see that um, Beckett is using that heart, as I mentioned before, as leverage against Jones, and he's forcing Jones to sail under his command. Really, it's under the command of the East India Trading Company. I had mentioned last week that I was not totally sold on Davy Jones. I liked him a lot. I wasn't totally sold on him. And I have to be honest with you, while this makes sense, that he's using the hardest as leverage, this again is another instance where I can't fully buy into Davy Jones as this big bad villain. I mean, it does pump Beckett up, but... I just am not sold on Davy Jones the way I was sold on Barbosa.
1: I agree because... It makes ev- him seem weak. Exactly. And it's like, okay, I understand that whoever has the heart controls controls him, but it's like, you really think he's going to listen to that? And in his own way, he does defy Beckett because Beckett wants survivors and Jones is just attacking ships, killing everyone. But I kind of find it hard to believe that he would allow any sort of control or, or would have someone to report back to, other than right. Calypso. Of course. That's supposed to be what holds the power over his head.
0: Yeah. When they eventually take the pearl over the edge of the living realm or over the edge of the earth, wherever it is they go, because Barbosa says we're good and lost, is mm-hmm. to find the thing that you can't actually find. We have to be good and lost. And they sort of go over what appears to be a waterfall, but clearly it is just the edge of reality. Where they find this, we don't know, but they have entered Davy Jones' locker.
1: I also just want to point out, this is not a flat earth scenario. No. Because that's not a real thing. And
0: after they go over the edge, it sort of fades to black for a second, and you start to hear dialogue and sounds from the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask yeah, what thoughts? you thought about that. Um, I don't like it. I don't. I don't either.
0: I, I want to love it, but we talked about in Curse of the Black Pearl how some of the nods to the attraction were subtle And then some like Gibbs in the, you know, with the pigs is not so subtle. But if you're not a huge fan of the park, you don't get it. But we do. And I think my exact words were if you did too much, I feel like 1407 W Disney would have to come up on the bottom of the screen. This feels like a commercial.
1: Not a commercial, but to me, this is as egregious as Haunted Mansion because you're trying to jam nostalgia where it doesn't need to be or or just jam something that's recognizable. I like the audio that they chose. I mean, it's uncanny. It's unmistakable. You know exactly where your boat is sailing in the ride, at, you know, with the pieces that they chose. But it's like... I'm I'm on you know I love the ride it is my favorite ride in the parks but I I love the ride for what it is when I'm there here I want to love these movies as I'm experiencing them so I didn't need I didn't need the reminder
0: No if someone on the ship as they were going over the edge would have just like somberly said dead men tell no tales and then you went over that would be fine but you can hear the you hear the dialogue from the pirate wench auction, then you hear... De- it just does not make any sense that it's
1: there. Yeah, like, Dead Man Tell No Tales would have been fine because that's the drop. So that that would have actually tied in kind of nicely, or even, like, if it was something Gibbs said as he was going over, you'd expect that because he, you know, in the second one, it opens up and he's singing... Uh, Yo ho ho yeah. and a bottle of rum. Yeah. Like he's he they what they did up until this point really nicely was they've peppered in all those familiar either shanties or piratey phrases, but they didn't overuse them. And that's what makes these films so successful is that it's not like your, you know, pirate films of the day where they were so stereotypical. Right. Here it almost does feel like a stereotype because you're you're doing something and and you're using this audio that none of the characters are connected to. Right. It's it's akin to
0: the early 90s Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo and Dennis Hopper Yowza. where while this movie is not that bad, even Dead Man's Chest is not that bad. What they did was they said, "Okay, we have this we have this IP. There are certain things that people want to see. And there are certain things that people want to hear. And sound effects that they want to hear from the video games. So we have to put it in the movie. When you didn't have to put it in the movie. And that was a film very much made for children. And it felt like you were watching a cartoon come to life. And I kind of feel that's what happened here. I... You didn't need to pander to Parks fans that badly,
1: especially not this late in the game either. Right. I didn't exactly. miss it in Black Pearl, so I certainly don't miss it two sequels later.
0: But you're three movies in.
1: That's what I'm saying. We're we're so far past the ride at this point. It felt really unmotivated. The, f- the only yeah. way I really would have bought it was maybe if Gibbs said it because he, you know, he is very knowledgeable. So like whatever comes out of his mouth, no matter how absurd it is, you know that he's got some sort of reason for it, or he's been through some kind of experience where he knows something that you don't.
0: Right, and at this point now, 2007, this is the third film, this is such a global phenomenon that the attraction, I hate to say it, is almost now secondary to the film franchise, at least at the time of this movie's release. So you really didn't need to stick this into the third movie
1: i don't know about that because i mean yes they did add johnny depp and that created lines for pirates the likes of which had not been seen for years but this amped up the ride the the you know movie phenomenon amped up the ride so much when i went in 2008 i've never used a fast pass on pirates i never saw the need to but there was a 40 minute wait for it And sometimes it will get up that much. Like, it has become that popular again. But with all that being said, still didn't need that.
0: No. Now they're in the land of the dead, and Jack captains... um, Well, he captains his pearl. um, With himself. With himself. um, With a crew of Jack's. And he grows frustrated and claims to be washing his hands of this weirdness. And he exits the boat to land on what appears to be rocks, but instead I guess they are stone crabs or they're crabs made of stone and the crabs come to life and they carry the pearl away towards the ocean um, where the crew of the pearl um, has washed up and here comes Jack on the mast uh, atop this pile of crabs that wash him out
1: to shore and... Um, With the theme song from the first one playing behind him. So So you've got a very full circle moment here. Full circle moment. Slap me
0: thrice and hand me to my mama. It's Jack is where the line is delivered here. Um, It's avant-garde. It's too much. And, And to the point where they interviewed the screenwriters and they asked them about developing this scene. And they're like, well... We're in the third movie. We want to give people something they've never seen before. So we said, ah, this is crazy enough. Why not? Um, when, you're, when you're writing a film to wrap up a trilogy that has taken the world by storm, that you expect to gross a billion dollars at the box office, I don't. Th- you, what you have basically just said is, we're out of ideas, throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks.
1: I'm really glad you brought this up because I wanted to get your opinion of the locker and what you thought of the overall design and how the scene plays out. Because this is one I sort of go back and forth on and I'm hoping to sort of talk through it now and and finally pick a side. Because I thought the same thing on the initial viewing. First of all, I did a midnight showing for this and it is so bright. I
0: I, I learned. My eyes were.
1: (laughs) Tearing.
0: I learned after Dead Man's Chest. Don't go to the midnight show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I waited and went the next day.
1: No, I still went because I was completely on board. But this scene is so bright, it hurts. Um, and so jarring. Um it it doesn't feel connected to anything that we have seen in any of the movies whatsoever. Um I kind of get the idea of what they were going for because he's washed up on, he's landlocked. Right. And that that's like a pirate hell. So if this is where you have to spend your eternity, I I totally get that. But, you know, the expression Davy Jones locker, the way that it's, always used I feel like is you're, you're going to sink D- to Davy Jones locker so I feel like what they later do for Shipwreck Cove might have been a more appropriate set of where Jack is and and maybe that's your hell of your ship is at the bottom of the ocean and it's never coming back exactly I can understand
0: the notion that you want to set sail you can't you're landlocked you are doomed to starve you can only eat one half of a peanut i can i can understand the fact that you're going and seeing these hallucinations and you're delusional and you're losing your mind and and really what it is is it's torture it's punishment you're
1: marooned
0: i totally get that but i i could live with that actually what would have made more sense to me is if you put jack on a beautiful island and 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 the pearl is is landlocked he can't get it onto that beautiful turquoise water and all of the rum is gone if you want to torture him that's a great place to go these crabs that he licks and they come to life and they're made of rocks the whole thing is it 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 gets too weird.
1: It feels like they put an experimental short in the middle of this movie. That's how disconnected it is. But yeah, no, even that would have been good. Like, okay, maybe the beautiful island, you know, that that's almost like a reward. But that is his personal hell. Right. And it's something he also contemplates later on when, um, you know, he's considering taking over crewing the Dutchman and... Uh, he realizes he can only have rum once every 10 years.
0: Right. And that that's sort of a bone of contention with him. But the other thing that doesn't make sense about it is if the idea is that he's going to be tortured because he can't get the ship to water, the crabs bring the ship to water. So now he can sail again. Now, unless he has those unless he has those navigational charts, He's not going to know how to get out of Davy Jones' locker. And, of course, that comes with the crew of the Pearl. And he He, needs a crew. That's the other thing. He needs the crew, right? Because we know that that ship needs at least six crewmen, as we learned in Dead Man's Chest. Mm. So he needs his crew. He needs those charts. But the crabs got him to water anyway. So he could have at least gotten out on the water. There's a lot about this scene that is sort of confusing and disjointed and I remember the seesaw of emotions having gone to see this movie for the first time where you have this great scene where they're, they have the pirates on the gallows. And then they go to Singapore and that's a great scene. Um, and then Beckett is controlling the sea. Yeah, okay, that's fine. And then you go here and I just remember thinking like, oh, what are we doing here? What's going on? I started having flashbacks of Dead Man's Chest.
1: The other thing that I really don't like about it is that you at one point on certain angles, there's nothing behind Jack. Like it is just white as far as the eye can see. And then they flip it and you can see mountains in the background.
0: And dunes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I kind of feel like they should have just kept it so that there was nothing behind him. Like really make him feel stranded because even though he can't move the pearl it almost sort of seems like there's a way he can get himself out of this. And it's not supposed to because he's dead. I do want to circle back to what you said about the crabs, though. I don't think that the crabs were there the whole time to rescue him. I think that that was because Tia Dalma showed up. Because that does come full circle later when she turns into crabs. So I think that that was a means... Of him getting rescued, but only because they oh, came to save right him. There. Yeah. All right. But they don't really flesh that out. Like, I, I might be yeah. reaching, you honestly. You might be.
0: I don't know. And that's that's the problem. We're, we're concluding a trilogy. I shouldn't have to, like, think about it. It shouldn't be so obscure or so abstract. Exactly. And, and here's the other thing. Nothing against the craft of filmmaking. So if this sounds blasphemous, I apologize for you having been on the production end and this is what you do for a living, I don't need to see abstract. I don't want to see your art. I've come to see a film about pirates. I want to see a swashbuckling adventure film, just like we had in The Black Pearl. You want to make it contemporary so that a modern audience can relate to it and it doesn't seem dated at the time of its release, that's fine. But I don't need to see you turn this into an art show or into something that's going to make me... Th- I don't want to think. I want to sit there and I want to watch a movie about pirates.
1: No, you're right. It, it is far too experimental to put in a film like this. Right.
0: So I want to get out of Davy Jones' locker and so do the rest of them. So they board the Pearl in an attempt to return to the human realm. It is revealed that Elizabeth led to Jack's death, much to the dismay of Will, who believes that Elizabeth had lied to him for having not disclosed this information. Um, And as they sail, they come across the souls of those who have died at sea, but were not ferried to the other side by Davy Jones. Or at least, you know, that was his original duty. Now, Davy Jones, in exchange for having immortality, was supposed to get the souls lost at sea... And help them get to the other side, not leave them in limbo. However, Jones becomes power-hungry and wants to control the sea, and that is why he and his crew are cursed to look, as they have referenced them in this film, as fish people. They don't start that way. And that was never the intention So I thought that that was an interesting dynamic that they added in here. And we'll
1: see later on how that gets fleshed out. I like that they gave context to the fish people thing because that was something that we had talked about that the second one fell victim to quite a bit was that they were trying to retrofit story into cool visuals. So this was seemingly a cool visual and really cool production design and I, I loved the idea of Davy Jones's rotting crew. Um but I like even more that there's a reason for it.
0: Yeah, because we had we didn't know why they looked this way, and it sort of just seemed as you had just said, and as they had even admitted to, that they were jamming visuals in rather than fleshing out a storyline.
1: Well, because they started production before the script was done. Right. I just That's to me, though, that's something that should have been
0: done during Dead Man's Chest. We should not be learning this now.
1: I agree. I feel like there are, and and granted, I do give them credit for tying up the loose ends, but I feel like we're learning a lot more in the third one that would have, even though the second one is acting as a bridge, it certainly would have given it more substance,
0: well, that's why I'm wondering how much of this was planned and how much of this was after the finished product came out and the reviews were not kind and some of the, well, a lot of the audience review and the fan review was not kind either. How much of it was, hey, uh, we got to do a day of pickups and we're going to add this, this dialogue in to clean up the mess that we made in Dead Man's Chest. You know, what, was, they, was the hanging of the child on the gallows in the original script? Was us fleshing out the fate of Davy Jones and his crew in the original script for this film? Or is it something they went back and did after the fact? I we, would, we may never know.
1: I would wager a guess that the child was in because that is the last time we see that fortress set and they used it in the second one, so I'm guessing they were done and moved on with it okay and none of your none of your major cast except for beckett is there so you could have shot it in conjunction with you know the rest of the crew has or the rest of the cast rather has a day off right and it's like all right we're gonna go back for beckett this day right and a bunch of extras they could have shot it back to back with the wedding scene it's all kind of the same aesthetic with the fortress true
0: so We mentioned that they're coming across the souls. Among the souls that they come across is the soul of Governor Swan, whom Elizabeth tries but fails to rescue. Governor Swan tells them that if someone stabs the heart of Jones, then they must take his place as captain of the Dutchman. I remember thinking to myself um, there's that seesaw of emotion again. We're watching Governor Swan as he sort of sails off into limbo because unless he gets brought to the other side and he says, I'll say hello to your mother, unless he gets ferried to the other side, he's just going to sit in limbo. Un- until somebody comes
1: to save him. Right, because since Beckett killed him, technically he is lost at sea, but Davy Jones is not doing his job. Yeah, I think that definitely brings your story full circle. It's so good. Yeah, there's a huge range of emotion, um, even just for us as the audience, because we know we're, this is a, one of the first major ca- major characters we're about to lose Yeah, that we've been on this journey with, and even though he's not... He doesn't have a lot of screen time. He's still a big player. And you know you're not going to get him till the end of the movie. And, and that he's was, not going to survive. It was shocking. Yeah. And then the way that it plays out as far as his relationship with Elizabeth, she's obviously freaking out. But that that last line, I'll say hello to your mother. Ouch. Yeah. That That is like some Disney dead parent deep cut there. Yeah. Um. As far as... The aesthetic of this scene, this is another one where I'm like, why isn't this what the locker looks like, especially Mm -hmm. because you would think these are the lost souls. They would be in the locker.
0: Yeah. Or at least this is what you'd think a hellish purgatory would be.
1: Right. And and same thing, even for Jack, if this is where they went to get him, I would buy it more because he wants his black pearl and he's stuck in a little dinghy. Again, that's a personal hell for him.
0: Right. It's a little um, mm. but uh, but it works. It works for this film because it is the same premise as Beetlejuice um, when you have souls that have not crossed over properly to the other side. But... They do it here in a way where it doesn't feel like a ripoff at all.
1: No, not at all. But I honestly Like, to the
0: point where if I didn't say to you, Beetlejuice, would you have even thought to c- that that the two of them mirror each other in that way?
1: No, I wouldn't, because when I'm thinking, I'm thinking Purgatory with Beetlejuice. I'm I'm thinking the waiting room, right? And th- this couldn't be farther from that, but. I would have honestly preferred if the idea of World's End after they went over the waterfall, you could have cut out the the whole crab thing Um, if they just had to go weed jack out of, you know, if they're like dodging boats, almost like the end of Titanic when they're looking for survivors and they plucked him out of all of these people and they happen to see governor swan too. And I think it would have created even more of a conflict of why can we save Jack, but not him because they do play on that idea here too, because we'll ask Tia Dama if there is a way to save him. And I guess it's a little bit different because Jack clearly has unfinished business and they also need him for the court because he's one of the, the pirate, the lords. pirate Lords. Um, he's got one of the
0: nine pieces, pieces of, of eight. eight.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's also, they don't say it explicitly, but that's also why Tia Dalma brought back Barbosa because she's known the entire time she needs all of them. Right. And she also made a mention that
0: it, bringing back Barbosa was easy because he was only dead. Whereas Jack is mind, body, and spirit inside of Davy Jones' locker. It is a much harder retrieval than just
1: bringing Barbosa back to life. Right. But I don't like that they went to those two extremes. And then her answer is, oh, your father's at peace. Let him go. I mean, it is different because, like I was saying, Jack, Jack has unfinished business. And I guess Governor Swan, you know, he's older. You can just kind of let him go. But it's like he's right there, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, Governor Swan was of no use to them. So (laughs) Tia was not going to waste her time bringing him back. Um, yeah, I mean, is that a bit of a plot hole? I think it is. Certainly, it is. If you can bring Barbosa back from the dead, if you can retrieve Jack from the locker, you can probably retrieve her father. But they don't, and we move on. Right. I mean, and I, I un- honestly, I'm fine with it.
1: I understand why Elizabeth can't leave the boat either. Like, I I get that. That's fine because then she'll be lost as well. So I do like that. There's that kind of rule in place because otherwise, why wouldn't she go save her father? But it just I, I don't know. I mean, it it almost seems like they went for sadness for the sake of it, yeah. to to just lose a major. But I I mean, that's it. Uh, on the other hand, his story's ended. Yeah. What what other place would he have have had in the rest of the movie?
0: Yeah, he has no other place
1: unless he descended into piracy, which
0: was never going to happen.
1: Uh, I don't know. I would have liked to see that though.
0: I wouldn't have bought it at all. Faced with being stuck in the land of the dead forever, Jack realizes after studying the charts that there is a way out. Um, and basically, they're looking at this as sunrise and sunset and, and the boat either sailing up or down. And he realizes that up is down and it's not... Um, sunrise it is sunset and he's playing around with this chart so basically the crew starts running back and forth on the deck eventually tipping the pearl over right as the sun is setting and they mentioned earlier uh in the film of the green flash that you can sometimes see right as the sun is setting you get this green flash into the sky so they turn the boat over And they're just waiting, waiting, waiting as the sun sets and it does and they get the green flash. And as soon as they get the green flash, they return to the human realm. This sounds very confusing when you read it out on paper, but it actually isn't that confusing. It's just, to me, it's something that on paper does not make any sense, but makes total sense when you see it on the screen.
1: No, and as a means to get back, I think it really worked. Yes. Because they've gone over a waterfall. I mean, it's not an actual waterfall. It is, but you don't know where they are. They're in another realm. So you couldn't just sail the pearl back. Yeah. Um, and I think like this is a cool visual, but it works for the story. It wasn't... I, I don't think the pitch was just like, all right, we have to figure out a way to flip a boat upside down for the right. sake of making it look cool. Um. I love the comic relief of Pintel and Rigetti in yes. this scene. Like their, their shtick, it should be old, but it's not because they think they have this brilliant plan to beat the system and it ends up biting them.
0: Yeah, because they, they tie themselves upside down to the mast and say, well, when the, when the boat is upside down, we'll be right side up. And that works until they come back to the human realm, and now they're upside down again. With right, no way because of down.
1: they flip the ship, but then the ship still goes. This is it's, it's hard to explain, but when you see it, it goes to the surface, but the water just falls away, so they're still upside down. Right. It's funny.
0: Yeah, it is funny, and I love how they tied that... Um that flash of green light back in
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: it was sort of a throwaway dialogue earlier in the movie, but I like that it circled back around and that they used it. I mean, you mentioned that as well. Back in the land of the living, Jack initially refuses to go to the Brethren court of Pirate Lords as he fears going back to Davy Jones' locker. They stop at an island for fresh water and discover that Beckett forced Jones to kill the Kraken and that he has, in fact, taken control of Jones. And Barbosa convinces Jack that they must go to the court. There's dialogue here between Jack and Barbosa. I Love it. It's the best scene of, of the two of them together. In the series, at least in this trilogy, it's the best scene together.
1: Hands down. I like that uh, they finally realize, again, I said it before, this is the enemy of the enemy is my friend. But I think this sort of goes beyond that because they've been at odds over the Pearl for forever you know yeah, and basically. and we've seen it anytime they're in a scene they're arguing over my ship my ship or there's two captains and you know they're both trying to get the crew to listen to them and do what they want to do um so i think this goes beyond just we need to level if we're going to get out of this but um there's that one point where Bar- barbosa calls him lad and it shows that one word it just shows so much caring where it's like you kind of know that even though they've been fighting this whole time, I don't want to say they were never really going to do anything horrible to each other because Jack did kill him.
0: Right. I think what that... Well, here's the thing. It's it's a very full circle moment for Barbosa. I think more so than Jack. Jack doesn't have this full circle moment until later on in the film. Barbosa has it here because mm. Barbosa calls him lad. He shows that he's kind of got that paternal instinct because remember they sailed together on the pearl before he before the mutiny you would imagine that they did get along at least civilly for a time and barbosa is an older gentleman he's an older character and, and he even says to jack you know the worst thing about being the last one of anything is that after you it's gone you know and and it's like he starts to think like do i really want immortality does it really mean that much to me anymore maybe i don't want to be the last of the dying breed right maybe i just want to go and 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 let the breed if it dies it dies but i don't want to be left here alone and he tries to put that on jack's radar great moment for barbosa here
1: yeah no i i really like that it sort of brings them back together it it heals the relationship and, um, you know, it does make you realize as much as you like to see them go at it with swords and how good the sword fighting scenes are, they're stronger together.
0: Absolutely. Feng and his men arrive on the island to capture the crew of the Pearl after Will has completed his mutiny against them. Because let's not forget, Will has traded Jack for the Pearl to go after the Dutchman to free Bootstrap Bill, his father. Beckett and his men then arrive, and he, being Beckett, attempts to get Jack to join their side, divulging the meeting spot of the Pirate Lords in exchange for his freedom and the Pearl, because up to this point, Jack still wants the Pearl. Meanwhile, because this is now all flashing back and forth very quickly. Um, meanwhile, while that's happening, Fen is starting to believe that Elizabeth is the goddess Calypso, and he takes possession of her as a means of bribing them to go to shipwreck cove um they fight off beckett's men and they set off for the cove and for the meeting of the pirate lords so as i just said in this scene in particular there is a lot of back and forth fang with uh will fang with barbosa fang with elizabeth beckett with jack and it's just cut back and forth back and forth back and forth um
1: Yeah, you need a couple of viewings to understand what is fully going on, mostly because of Will. Yeah,
0: very much because of Will. But similar to, and I hate to repeat myself so often, but I'm going to do it again. This seems confusing as you read it out loud, but it makes sense on the screen. That's sort of a common theme for this plot.
1: That's the definition of film as a
0: medium, but go on. No, 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 it's not the definition of film as a medium, because I should be able to... It's a visual medium. But I should be able to read a film script the way I, I read a book and visualize it in my mind. I could not visualize this.
1: Well, that's why Gore Verbinski is a genius.
0: It does play out that because I'm, as I read this, I don't want to be accused of not being articulate by some listener who's going to then leave me a bad review on iTunes. <laughs> you know It's like, this is not the
1: easiest
0: plot to go over.
1: It's not, but we also assume that everyone has seen the movie that we're discussing, and we're just trying to give you a refresher so you know where we are in scene here. That's yeah. also why we're doing this linear. This is way too convoluted, but go Could on. Could you
0: imagine if I sat there and just read this plot out and then we went back to discuss it? No one would have any
1: idea what we were talking about. Here. First of all, me. I wouldn't even be able to follow where you were.
0: Yeah. Um. Lots of back and forth, lots of backstabbing. Um. I think at this point, this is where Will has fully turned pirate for me. Um. And I love that for him.
1: Yeah, and what I really love is how genuinely disappointed Jack is in him because yeah. he slings the, what does he call him, a yeasty codpiece or yeah. something like that. That's a It's a slew of insults, and um, he's so just direct about it, and I think there's genuine disappointment there because no matter what Jack has done, there has always been either code speak or a bigger plan where he's going to get all of them out of this or he's going to figure out a way to get everyone what they want and will this isn't self-preservation this is self-interest and there's yeah. a difference and jack is about self-preservation and will just completely cross that line so that's all well and good that's all powerful it all serves the story what loses me in this scene, I think we're going
0: to say the same thing.
1: How Cao Fang thinks Elizabeth is Calypso in human form, with Tia Dama standing there looking like she does, is beyond me.
0: Oh, that is not what bothers me at all. Because if you look at Barbosa, this whole—I th- think a lot of this gets made up on the fly. Um, and I think that Barbosa and Elizabeth kind of figure out together to protect Tia Dalma, to protect the real Calypso, she's going to get used as bait. Because if you look at Barbosa's body language, he's sort of like looking over the shoulder, giving Sal Feng the eye, looking over the shoulder at Elizabeth, trying to convince him that Elizabeth is Calypso. And what I like about that scene is when you get the wide shot of Sal Feng saying that Elizabeth is Calypso, or thinking that it is, Tia Dalma starts to get a grin on her face, and she kind of starts to giggle. And it's not until you've seen the movie a few times that you that you pick that out. She knows that she's protected, because she knows they just duped him. And I think that Chao Feng, uh, or uh, Chao Young-Fat, is great as Feng, Feng is really the only new character we get introduced to in this movie. I love him in the role. I love him in this scene. Same. What I'm not buying in this scene is the back and forth between Elizabeth, who's now on board with Barbosa as standing in as Calypso, and Will, because this is bickering for the sake of bickering. Deal. No, no deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, deal. I'm growing tired of them as characters. As as happy as I am and as much as I love that Will has really turned pirate and as much as I love everything that Elizabeth is doing in this movie, the two of them together are like oil and water for me and that's not supposed to be the case. They're supposed to be they're supposed to be what you're rooting for and I just find them to be insufferable.
1: They're like two children. Yeah. I mean, their relationship throughout this whole film is unnecessarily strained and awkward. I mean, I understand you need that distrust to move the story forward and to put all of these other side plans and subplots to work. Right. I totally get that. But... I mean what I do like is the redemption here that Will loves her and he's going to still protect her no matter what. So that's why he won't he won't uh let her be part of the negotiation. So I get that, but you're right. This whole bickering thing is so distracting that I actually never realized that that Elizabeth and Tia Dalma were in on the setup the entire time.
0: Mhm. Yeah. We'll have to go back and watch that scene, and you'll see. Just watch Tia Dalma, and she she's totally in on it. They give it away, but but it you know I've seen this movie a few times. It wasn't until last night actually, which at that by the time I get to last night is probably like the seventh or eighth time I've seen this movie. It wasn't until then that I picked up on it.
1: No, I really hadn't either.
0: Um. Well, at any rate. Jones, at the instruction of Beckett, attacks Feng's ship and kills Feng. But as Feng dies, he names Elizabeth Captain and his successor as a pilot, uh, pirate lord, and he hands her one of the nine pieces of eight. Um, she is captured and brought aboard the Dutchman with the rest of the crew, and she is reunited with Norrington, whom learns of the death of Governor Swan much to his shock and dismay. Uh, Elizabeth then meets Bootstrap Bill, because she is a prisoner, she's in the brig. She meets Bootstrap, who tells her that Will will not come back for him, as he is confident that he will choose Elizabeth instead, and goes so far as to said, I wouldn't choose me. And it's another sad scene, I think it's really well written. I mm. love the fact that this part of the crew, part of the ship, is starting to become full circle for Bootstrap Bill. He's literally embedded in the wall of the brig, and he has become a part of the ship. And the barnacles have really started to advance on him. It's great makeup here. I, I think a really powerful scene.
1: Same. Um I like that they planted that idea in the second one when he shows Will what will happen when you become part of the Dutchman for too long with that other old guy that's just really a face in the wall at that point. And you see that Bootstrap is, you know, it's starting, it's really starting to happen to him. But I love the gesture here. This is like his one attempt to be a father and make up for all the time that he lost with Will. And he tells Elizabeth, like, tell him it's too late, tell him to forget about it because he's seeing what Will is going to have to give up. It's one thing to hear about Elizabeth, but it's one thing to have her in front of him to see the lengths that Elizabeth is also going through to be with Will and um, to know what he's going to cost his son. Right. You mentioned,
0: like, going back to the scene where you have Governor Swan sailing off into limbo and you say it seems like they made a sad scene for the sake of making a sad scene. A case can be made for that, especially when you compare it to this scene, mm. which if you're looking at a scene to you know, evoke an emotional response out of you, this is the far superior of the two.
1: No, it completely serves the story, but also Bootstrap's character arc that he's trying to make up for lost time which is something that really it seems like wasn't a blip on his radar like he knew he left his family he did feel guilty about it but until he was face to face with Will he wasn't really face to face with the problem now he realizes that Will is such a good person he's trying to do right by him right. even if he never sees him again this is the one thing he uh, he can do the other really powerful scene uh, is the one that precedes this I love her final or almost the final showdown with Norrington here uh, where he says he really didn't know about governor Swan and what happened. And she's like, you didn't know which side you chose. That's a big sting.
0: Yeah. And, and she had to get, you know, he had to get his comeuppance from her after he took the shot at her with the latest fiance line from the last film. Exactly. Um, This is worse. This I think is worse, but, you do get Norrington's character arc in just a moment here because while all of this is going on, um, Will is basically leaving a uh, breadcrumb trail for um, Beckett and his men using dead bodies. um, Hannibal's breadcrumb trail. (laughs) Yeah, to find them. And Jack sees him doing it, but he doesn't sound the alarm. You know, Jack instead tries to convince Will to let him stab the heart of Davy Jones and says... That if Jack were the one that were to stab the heart, Will could have both his father and Elizabeth in exchange for Jack's immortality. And then he sends him overboard to be captured by who he believes to be Jones, not realizing that really it's Beckett that he's trying to uh, lead him to. Um, Norrington leads a mutiny against Jones back on the Dutchman, freeing Elizabeth and her crew before being killed by Bootstrap Bill. Um, And in his dying moments, Jones comes up and says, do you feel death? And rather than respond, Norrington just stabs Jones, which does nothing, and he knows it's going to do nothing, but that's his chance at making his last stand before he passes away. It is a great end for Norrington
1: it really is i love the arc i love that he definitively chose a side even just by breaking them out of jail but i mean he really goes above and beyond and i mean that's it he he tried to redeem himself and clear his name by giving back at the heart of davy jones but i mean this is an even more grand gesture to redeem himself and do the right thing by the people that he truly cares about by the way Elizabeth has now kissed almost every man in this movie, starting with Will in the first one, Jack in the second one. Sal Fang kisses her and she doesn't stop him when he thinks she's Calypso. And now you smooch Norrington. So Norrington was not wrong about her.
0: Not entirely.
1: (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I I really think it was the perfect arc for him. I love what a conflicted character he's been throughout. Um, Not necessarily taking sides because of self-interest, but because of self-preservation, whether he's drunk in Tortuga, fighting on a wheel, or betraying the East uh, East India Trading Company, um, I think this might be the most powerful arc in the trilogy.
0: Yeah, and it might be the saddest death of any character, because... You go from Norrington, who is so insufferable in the first movie, but you like him, Mm -hmm. and then they do like. Actually, I I would go so far as to say that, is in terms of being fleshed out as a character over the course of three movies, Norrington might be the best character in in the series.
1: I think so. As far as playing with your emotions and teeter tottering and wondering which side he's on, I mean, you kind of feel that way about Jack in the first one, but like you can trust that I mean Jack proves he's a good man so you know he's going to do the right thing uh, which I do want to circle back to in a second but um, what I also love about Norrington's death is they start to plant the thread of Will's sword this is Will's sword when we first meet him and he delivers it to Swan in the beginning for Norrin's promotion to Commodore Yeah. Um. then it's given back to Norrington now and he uses it to stab Jones. And then Jones takes it and we're going to see it later on. Uh, which is something that I never picked up on until the more yeah, recent viewings that we it. did. But um, I love... It's like the app Barbosa's apple in the first one. Sure. Um, I do want to circle back to the Jack and Will scene before. Yep. Um, when he's leaving the breadcrumb trail. Um, this is something that the trilogy has done as a whole maybe not so much the second one but for the first and third um it's one of those instances where Jack does have the bigger picture in mind and he is trying to get everyone out in one piece and get them all what they want and something else circumvents that um because here he thinks that Will is leaving the breadcrumbs for the Dutchman he has no idea it's the trading company that's following them. And part of that is because, again, Will is sort of acting before he's thinking or communicating with anyone. And if he just would have worked with Jack on this one, they probably could have avoided the whole thing. Yeah. But then you would have no story. But it it would have cut out some of the back and forth.
0: It it would have a little bit. I think it also shows that Jack is back to taking Will under his wing, much like he tried to do in the first movie. Yeah. Um, So I do like that you do get that as a full circle moment. While on Shipwreck Cove, Tia Dalma is taken to the brig um, by the orders of Barbosa, who exposes her as the true Calypso. Not that we didn't know this already. Um, Will, meanwhile, is on the endeavor with Beckett and tells Jones that Jack has been brought back from the locker. And they warn him that the Brethren court will release Calypso, much to his dismay, um, as he believes that she had betrayed him earlier in life. Will agrees to give Jack and Calypso to Jones and Beckett in exchange for his father's freedom, as well as safety for him and Elizabeth. Um there is a ton of backstabbing here. There's a ton of back and forth. There's a ton of flashing scene by scene, but the movie now is really starting to get interesting and pick up some steam, and I think that if there's any point in the trilogy in which Will is really starting to act like Jack, it's here. Absolutely. Um back on Shipwreck Cove, the Pirate Lords meet, and Elizabeth informs them that she is now a pirate lord as Sal Fang is dead, and also that Beckett is coming for them and they need to fight. Barbosa tells them that they need to free Calypso to defeat Jones and Beckett, which initially no one agrees with. And I love the bickering here the bickering back and forth between the pirate lords because it does, it accomplishes three things. First, it shows that at the end of the day, they are just all pirates and they're in for themselves. Sure. I think that it also shows the volatility of this court, which is fleshed out later in the film. And it also does serve as comic relief because it lightens the mood of the movie, which at this point now has become very dark.
1: Yeah, I love that there's still there, there are rules in place and that has been a theme throughout the trilogy as well, is that there's a code and I love that they deliver on the code, that it's actually a book. It's something that they've referenced, but now we get to see it. Um And that prop is amazing by the way. Yeah. It, the, the weight that they give it and the, you know, the, the calligraphy in there, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's exactly what you'd expect. There's, you know, just all these little collections of things that they've found over the years. And and it's, you know, it's like rum recipes and stuff like that. It's ridiculous, but well, like... the
0: rules of parlay. Yes,
1: the rules of parlay. And I love that they actually have them written out. So like I said earlier, I love that they delivered on something that was a throwaway line in a really big way. And I love the idea that the pirates are trying to set out a code of conduct for themselves that they all try to abide by and they're going to break it anyway because they're pirates and it's what they do. So you have something that's pretty serious and then it just dissolves into a Tortuga like scene. So it it does give you that comic relief. But like you said, at the end of the day, they're all pirates and it's what they're going to do. And no matter how seriously they're trying to take this, it doesn't matter. It's going to be swords and gunshots and bickering. Yeah. Back on the Pearl, Jones visits
0: Calypso and accuses her of betraying him. And she tells him that he cursed himself, but he tells her that his heart will always belong to her. This softens Jones in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself... I'll never buy into this character now. And I think this is why I've never bought into him, because even when I've gone back and watched Dead Man's Chest, this scene is always in the back of my mind.
1: It goes beyond just the one that got away. I mean, everyone's had their heart broken, so that should humanize him and make him relatable. But what I don't buy is that this villainous character is still so distraught over it after all these years. I mean, they do kind of flesh it out a little bit because we know about the curse and, and the one day on land versus 10 years at sea. And they do establish the fact that he went and she wasn't there. I don't like that. She writes it off as well. That was just my nature. Yeah. It was one day. Like you couldn't be there for one day. Like what what were you doing? Yeah. So It's weak. It's weak. It cheapens it and what really makes it so egregious is when we see Davy Jones in human form. I can appreciate that they wanted maybe to give Bill Nye some screen time, but The size and stature doesn't match what we know Jones to be like all of his tentacles. I'm thinking it's supposed to be some big bushy beard like Blackbeard and it's it's not as big and I don't know if it's the angles that they chose to shoot the scene with because most of it you're looking you know it's almost like that jail scene between Jack and Will and one of them's looking down on the other one you're looking up at jones and that that should make him appear bigger and it just doesn't yeah it
0: makes him appear sort of like meek and meager yeah yeah um it's it's not convincing at all
1: and i don't buy the chemistry between them either
0: no not in the very least
1: and i don't like the fact that he comes
0: in all you know what in vinegar um god it is so hard sometimes to host a family show um <laughs> I know. But he comes in and he's. I never loved you. I don't this. I don't this. And he basically knocks her down a peg and goes, "My heart will always belong to you." And he walks out. So it's like, what? Then why did you do this?
1: It was like watching a middle school relationship play out. Basically, they're acting like a bunch of thirteen-year-olds. Even worse than Elizabeth and Will at this point. Yeah,
0: without a without a doubt, it's it's worse than that. The Brethren Court eventually agree to fight back and free Calypso, but. A declaration of war can only be declared by the Pirate King. And there is never a Pirate King because they always just vote for themselves. And so if you can only cast one vote and it's for yourself, it's always it's always a tie. Um, Jack's father, Captain Teague, who is the keeper of the code, confirms all of this, and they have the election. And Jack shocks everybody for voting for Elizabeth rather than himself. So while everybody else has one vote, Elizabeth has two, and she is elected the Pirate King and declares war. There's a lot going on here. A lot to dissect. The least of which (laughs) um, is not the great cameo by Keith Richards, but I want to hold on that for a second. Sure. What I really like about this scene more than anything else is the vote that gets Elizabeth elected Pirate King. Because it ultimately falls to Jack. Mm -hmm. And Jack always sort of goes against the grain and does the opposite of what you think he's going to do. Because you would assume that he would try to get it thrown in his favor. You would never think that he would cast a vote for Elizabeth, especially after... She killed him, as he reminds us of earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of you tried to kill me, and one of you tried. Uh, one, or one of you, you succeeded. succeeded. Um, so the fact that he recognizes enough to throw her the vote because he believes in her, I think is another instance where you're seeing him grow as a character. I love this entire scene.
1: No, and I think that up until this point, you know, obviously Elizabeth feels like he's never going to forgive what she did. She understands that he is forgiving her and she has to trust him the same way that he's trying to take will back under his wing. He's giving her like a, I, I got this just back off. I know, I know you've stepped up in this world, but like, just let me do what I'm going to do. Um, here's what I was talking about before though, where I feel like the second movie is Elizabeth and the third movie is wills. Because I don't like where her character arc is going. And although we haven't got to her big speech at the end yet, I feel like I don't even care about it by the time we get to it. Because in the second film, she is acting completely independently. She's stepping up. She's making her own decisions. Um, You know, she goes to Beckett and she holds him at gunpoint. Um, when Will is trying to deliver Jack's compass to him, she gets the letters of Mark without having to even really try too hard. So she steps up in that regard. Then at the end, she makes a decision and she kills Jack. Here, even though she's getting bigger titles like Captain and then King of the Court, she didn't make any of those decisions or do anything to deserve them. They all just happened to her. Cao Fang hands her his piece of eight so that she can take over as captain and be represented in the court. Jack orchestrates her becoming the king. She did absolutely nothing herself to get these get these things.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I see your point. I agree with that.
1: She can handle them, but she's not acting independently. And that's where it's like, I feel like her character takes a step back.
0: Mm. Um, Which is sort of a shame because up to that point at least, with the exception of her being handed the title of Captain and Pirate Lord by Thang, she had been growing as a character much more so in this film than I think she did in the second movie. I mean, that's my opinion at least.
1: I don't. I think the second one, she proves that she's stronger.
0: By the by, the very end, but up to that point, I, I don't know.
1: True. Yeah. No. It does take until the end of the second one. You're right.
0: Let's talk about Keith Richards. Let's. His cameo is amazing. He looks great in the garb. He looks great in the makeup. They probably didn't have to do much. <laughs> um... <laughs> What I love so much about this scene, other than he's great. I mean, he acted well. I mean, it was perfect. I don't think he had to act much, but he acted perfect. My favorite part about the cameo is the line where Jack says to him, you've seen it all, you've done it all, and you've survived. I mean, that is literally Keith Richards looking in the mirror at his own life. It's
1: true. It's true. It's true. No, I, I love the cameo. I love that, you know, it was no secret that Johnny Depp modeled the character off of him. So I love that they got him. But And it was such a natural thing, but it still sort of took you by surprise. And, and you loved it anyway. Um, Even
0: though you knew it was coming.
1: Yeah. I love... I love what he did with the character. I think he, you know, not that it took that much, but he gave him the swagger that he needed. He gave him the nonchalance that he needed. I love the costume. I love that we see this sort of like prestigious Captain Hook sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But he still looks like Jack. The only thing I don't like, and this might sound really weird, is that I I didn't need to see Jack's father. I didn't need Jack to have a family life. Jack always acts independently and in his own, you know, we said it a million times, it's self-preservation. So to give him a family, even though we don't see that it's necessarily like a caring relationship, it's kind of like, why is he always off on his own? Why You know, no matter what, you do sort of have a familial obligation, especially that your dad is a pirate, too. So it's like, have you been acting of your own accord this entire time? Have you, you know, when you made these great escapes in the Legends of the Sea Turtles, did daddy come to bail you out? It poses too many questions that we are never going to see answered. And I never needed to even ask these questions because Jack is just this icon that can get himself out of anything I didn't need to see the higher power higher power if this was like his uncle I would have even been more okay with it that it's like some distant relative that okay he's got connections and maybe this is how he got into piracy but I don't need Jack to have the same kind of responsibility that will feels he needs to have to bootstrap
0: well i don't think it's that he has the same responsibility because he does absolutely nothing for his father and he hasn't done anything for his father and he won't do anything for his father other than keeping to the code of piracy um i agree with you we didn't necessarily need to see him this is obviously a character that was written for the specific purpose of getting keith richards in the movie Mm -hmm. um But with that being said, of all of the things that they created for the sake of creating something, is it the most egregious? No. Certainly no more egregious than creating a visual because you think it would look cool at the detriment of the story.
1: Well, I guess that's it. He doesn't have the same responsibility that Will does to his father, but there's a loyalty here. And I don't need Jack to be loyal to anyone other than himself. And especially because I feel like it makes that scene with Barbosa a little weaker because he did get a little paternal. Mm -hmm. So I don't need the actual parent.
0: I agree with you, um, but I'm not upset that we saw him. Um, I do think it was a good cameo. I did like seeing them on screen together. I think when it became so public that that he had modeled that character after Keith Richards I feel like had we seen a trilogy people would have sat there and said you couldn't get Keith Richards to do a cameo so I don't know that there was any right way of necessarily bringing him in I don't think he could be a background character with one throwaway line or or even somebody that you see for half a second like Jimmy Buffett for example in, in uh, Jurassic World where mm. he, he grabs the margaritas and runs Um, I think you needed to actually give him some sort of substance. And I think this is the only substance you really could have given him because the Rolling Stones, in spite of their lifestyle, still tour regularly. And they said that that was a challenge that they faced with this, getting him fitted for the costume and working him around a production schedule was they had to work around the tour. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that you would have gotten him for more than a day or two. I don't think he would have been interested in doing it for more than a day or two. And I don't know that you would have need to see him set out on any sort of adventure either. So I feel like it is just enough.
1: Right. Because they do sort of give him the impression of like a landlocked pirate that like he's yeah. not out on the water. And that's why his clothes are a little nicer than everyone. If, if his job was to live in Shipwreck Cove, that's fine. But I wish he just would have been like maybe he was the king of the court.
0: Yeah, I think if anything, it's an interesting juxtaposition when you look at somebody like Captain Teague, who is literally by the book and by the code. And then you have Jack, who, while he doesn't necessarily break the code, he does live by a set of his own rules.
1: And and I guess that's the thing, though, is that I don't... When Jack does decide to follow the rules, I don't want to think about him doing it because his dad told him to. Fair I want to believe that he's doing it because it's what works for him. Before we move on, I do want to touch on Shipwreck Cove because you were talking before about my anticipation of this movie. Um, I got to go to L.A. in 2006. So it was after the second one came out and we did the Warner Brothers tour and they were painting the backdrop of Shipwreck Cove. So I had seen the second one. And I got a little sneak preview of the third. And when I saw the set, they were it, it was a huge uh, piece of fabric. They were painting the backdrop on. So I got to see all the ships piled up on top of each other. So with no context, I'm thinking this is the locker. So I didn't get to see you know it's not the outside where you see all the light poking through but when they're in the room at the table and you see the the shipwreck pile like through all the gaps mm-hmm. in the ceiling that's what i was seeing so i did have a little bit of an expectation going into this one and again thinking it was the locker i was like oh that's so cool
0: sure well the next morning Jack Elizabeth and Barbosa meet with Will Beckett and Jones and Elizabeth exchanges Jack for Will, but not before Barbosa cuts away Jack's piece of eight. Let me give this some context. Jack's piece of eight is one of the beads on his dreadlocks.
1: I love that that's what his piece was. Because yeah. even when Johnny Depp was conceptualizing the character, he said, oh, I think he should have all these things in his hair and all these collections but to give this one such a deeper meaning was very clever.
0: Right. And he didn't hand over his piece of eight when they had met with the pirate lords. Right. So Everyone else is
1: there in a bowl right now, except for his beads and Elizabeth's necklace from South Fang.
0: And similar to a lot of other things that we've seen in terms of setups, in terms of execution, this is all kind of done flying by the seat of their pants. They all give each other a look and it's like, okay, this is on. Just follow my lead. And they all do it very, very well. Um, it's a great setup. It's played off of very well with each other. The actors do a great job. But it's now it's too much with the backstabbing. And I there's so much changing on the fly here that it's almost getting too confusing.
1: There is, but what I love is that they do revert back to Black Pearl, where now it's Will speaking in code to Jack of... Trust me on this. I'm gonna get us all out of it.
0: Right, right. Similar to, like you said, it, the, the opportunity.
1: This is Will's opportune moment.
0: Correct. Exactly. Um, so now that they are set on fighting back and killing Beckett, um, the pirate lords and Barbosa and Elizabeth, they take Jack's piece of eight, and with the help of Mister Rigetti. They free Calypso. Jack, meanwhile, hallucinates while being in uh, the brig of the Endeavor and decides that he's going to stab the heart of Jones and become immortal. We did not need to see hallucinations outside of the locker. No. No. That, while abstract, as abstract as the locker was, It made sense. I said it a little while ago. It was too much, but it it made sense that you're hallucinating and you're slowly losing your mind. It's cheapened when you see it happening in the brig.
1: I definitely also didn't need to see him lick his own brain. Yeah.
0: I I think that at this point, they probably didn't think that they were going to do any more films. And they were like, well, let's just... Let's just see what we can get Johnny Depp to do.
1: This this movie also kind of got gross. Like, I could deal with Rigetti's eye popping out. It's comedy. It's not really nasty. But like in the beginning, when they're when they're on the way to World's End, the guy breaks off his frostbitten toe. Like, yeah. I can't deal with that. Right. And I don't want to see you lick your brain either. Right. Or
0: when um when Davy Jones eventually kills Beckett's right-hand man with the tentacles and mm. he puts it down the throat, through the nose, through the eyes, through the eyes, yeah, yeah, to get the key to the chest. Um, let's. T- you mentioned Rigetti's eye. What a brilliant piece of oh, eight!
1: My God, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's Barbosa's piece of eight. That was completely unexpected. But I love that they used it. I love that that came around.
1: Same. It's it's another gag. Or you know they they did it brilliantly here. It was either a throwaway line that they delivered on, or a running gag, and and they gave it purpose. And I like that
0: you eventually see an eye patch, you know, like a really piratey eye patch on Rigetti, and he frees Calypso. Um, I like that as well. The fact that Barbosa's not able to say it gingerly enough or lovingly enough because you're you're supposed to say it, you speak to Calypso as if you're speaking to a lover. And I love that Rigetti. Because he's the last person you would expect to do that, especially because it's comic relief. Uh, you know, that's basically been the purpose of his character. But I really like that he got a moment here, as as kind of corny and cheesy as it was, it's out of left field enough where it, it makes sense.
1: I love that he got a big character moment and got to play a bigger part more than just like the keeper of the piece of eight. But as far as either of them saying it as if they were talking to a lover, that's not a panty dropper there.
0: Hear me out. I actually see it working for Rigetti though, because Rigetti has always shown a softer side between him and Pentel He's always been, while more gullible, and and while being the, uh, <laughs> lacking the intelligence, having the lower ID, between the two of them. He's the, the village idiot. L- yeah, he's the village idiot. Lacking the IQ between the two of them. You can tell, though, that in a simpleton sort of way, that he, at one point, may have been a loving, nurturing person, more so than Pentel ever was.
1: Right. Because Pintel is always like the brains of the operation. He's a schemer. He is. He's a total schemer. He's Ralph Cramden. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I Rigetti was definitely, of the two of them, the one to do it. Um, and I, his delivery is certainly a lot more caring than Barbosa. But, like, the way that they set this all up, it sounds like you're supposed to say it's seductive, which neither of them does. I mean,
0: yeah. Well, Barbosa certainly isn't going to do it either.
1: No, that like none none of that. I I was like if I were Calypso, none of this would be working for me. It, but I mean the the little bit of caring that he gave it Made all of the difference. I mean, I
0: think it would have worked if Jack would have said it because it would have added an interesting layer to Jack. And they also Mm. alluded earlier to Jack and Tia Dalma having a history together.
1: But was it Tia Dalma or was it Calypso?
0: We don't know, but it would have made sense. But Jack's in the brig hallucinating, hallucinating, licking his own brain. So (laughs) he's out.
1: It would have been... A lot more effective, especially because when he eventually does get, sa- get out, it reverts again to the first one. It brings the uh, half-barrel hinges yep. full circle, and he learns something from Will. Um, what do you think of Calypso being released?
0: I hate it. It reminds yeah. me of a 1950s B-movie, like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I, I don't I don't understand why she had to become a giant and then turn to crabs um
1: i also don't like the exorcist screaming where it's not actually words it's just noises yeah um yeah i I don't like that they blew her up either i i understand that she's bound in human form you have to bind her otherwise you're not going to be able to control her but i would have rather honestly seen some like Elsa water spray from her or something you know if she's supposed to control the sea if she could have become weaponized, elemental yeah weaponize the sea yeah I mean I I do believe that she caused the maelstrom she, she does but which is not explicitly said I mean you can kind of deduce that it was the crabs and that's that's how she did it but like I would have rather seen her as a human do something with the water
0: yeah I agree Um, The only thing that saves her as a giant from being really cheesy is Elizabeth's hoist the color speech. Um, You get used to these ridiculous inspirational speeches in every Disney film that's based in the world of sports. Right. I didn't need it in Pirates of the Caribbean. And you get it here. And is it that Keira Knightley doesn't deliver the speech well? No. I think if Barbosa would have said it, it would have been cheesy. I think if Will would have said it, it would have been cheesy. We didn't need it.
1: No, and this goes back to what I said before, that we've seen her act independently and make decisions. I don't buy the speech because she hasn't made any decisions Throughout the course of this film. Second one. Yes. Not that I needed her to deliver the speech before she sends Jack to the Kraken, but I don't necessarily believe that I don't believe in her as a captain. I just don't. It's a title that was bestowed upon her. And I believe that it worked for the purpose of getting her in the court and playing a role that way because She does have a say in what's going on and and she needed that for her own means. So she did need some sort of representation within that context. But as far as believing that she wants to captain a ship, no, that was squashed in the second one because she chose Will over her freedom because there was that entire back and forth with I want to be married but her looking at Jack and and they were toying with the idea that she wanted her own freedom I think they're trying to deliver on her as a character when we first met her and she thought I thought it would be fun or I think it would be fun to meet a pirate when she's a little girl and now we're supposed to see that fleshed out that she has fully become one but other than killing Jack, she has done nothing to prove pirate in this movie.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, as we were discussing, Calypso does summon a dangerous maelstrom, and the um, ships of the pirate court start to fight back against Jones and Beckett. With Barbosa at the helm, the Pearl and the Dutchman get caught in the maelstrom and begin firing cannons at each other while also circling this whirlpool. Jack escapes the brig of the Dutchman and gains possession of the dead man's chest. The crew of the Pearl board the Dutchman, and while fighting uh, everybody, Barbosa marries (laughs) Elizabeth and Will. Uh, Do I even need to say it?
1: No. I, by... This wedding more than the one that they were going to have at the start of the second one, because that's Elizabeth's former self, the governor's daughter. They get married with their picturesque, you know, on the fort and the water in the background. Nice, you know. uh,
0: It's 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 picturesque. It's 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 regal. It's what you'd expect.
1: Yeah. They've got their, their fancy tea set and everything like that is what you would expect. Yeah. But for where these characters are now, I fully expect them to be married on a ship because they are both. Well, Elizabeth, I'm still, the jury's out on that one, but for all intents and purposes, they are both pirates. And I love that it is Barbosa who does marry them because he was the villain in the first one. And now we've seen their relationship change and that all comes full circle but as far as the cheese factor of it happening in the middle of a sword fight which for barbosa there's a lot more action with him than there is i don't know if it was the choreography or the pacing or or what was going on but they they pause before they're fighting mm-hmm. so i don't buy that they're even doing this as like a last ditch effort to like marry each other because they think they're going to die
0: yeah they could, have just de- they could have just as easily been married at shore later on towards the end of the film. Not that I want to give too much away if you haven't seen this movie, uh, um, but th- there were plenty of ample opportunities later. It didn't need to be now. It doesn't make sense that it happened now. It's ridiculous that it's happening now, and they did it anyway.
1: The other thing is that they're both captains now. Right. So... They can technically marry themselves.
0: Right, but I guess they still want it to be done properly. So they'll have Barbosa do it.
1: I I like what they were trying to do here, but they made too much of a joke out of it. Yeah. When when he asks her, Do you take me? And then he's like, Great, when she says yes. Like it I just would have brought it more even if they weren't fighting together, like if the three of them were in different places and Barbosa is trying to conduct this ceremony.
0: A couple of weeks ago when I talked about being a 17-year-old male going to see Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean with my dad and not being totally enthusiastic about it, going in, of course, loving it when I came out, um, but going in I had said I was sort of hesitant cautiously optimistic however you want to consider it because i thought that i'm going to see a pirate movie made by disney based on an attraction and in the back of your mind there's the fear that they're going to take something as cool and as dangerous and as thrilling as pirates and they're going to make it princessy because it's Mm -hmm. disney that's a common misconception among 17 year old males i think you know when you're when you're starting to grow out of the disney phase well, they did it. They did it here. You didn't need to see a wedding on a ship.
1: I would have much preferred if going into war, because that was the whole thing, Elizabeth's thing the entire time. We need to fight, we need to fight, we need to fight. Instead of delivering her speech, if she would have said to Barbosa, all right, this is happening now, marry us quick before, just in case the worst should happen. Yes, I would have bought into that much more.
0: And what makes matters worse is that the, the marriage appears to be short-lived because before Jack can stab the heart, Jones stabs Will, forcing Jack to choose who will, of course, stab the heart and get immortality. Because I don't think Jones actually believes that he's going to... Uh, see Jack give up the opportunity for immortality anyway. And I think his cockiness in general just leads him to believe that it doesn't matter because he's going to come out victorious in this somehow.
1: Well, I think part of it too is that he also puts the pieces together regarding Elizabeth and Will and he realizes that Will is in love and he's just being so spiteful at this point because, you know, he hates love.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, it's that 13 year old mentality. Um, So I think this was really more an act of spite. I think he realized that, you know, he had a second to deal with Jack and that in the moment he just wanted to act out and, you know, cause this couple pain.
0: Right. Well, bootstrap Bill fights Jones. And as Will is dying with some help from Elizabeth and Jack, he stabs the heart and kills Jones. They escape the maelstrom and the crew of the Dutchman cut Will's heart out and put it in the dead man's chest before being dragged to the depths of the sea. In spite of all of that, I do think that, at least up to this point, it is a great fate for all. Um, You knew Jones was not going to make it out of the trilogy. Of course. And... Jack has another full circle moment where he has proven that he is a good man. Mm -hmm. And now Will, seemingly, is saved. He will, here's the thing, he, he gets the best of both worlds because he'll only get to come to land once every decade to see Elizabeth. But he still gets Elizabeth and he will be able to save his father. And the most important thing being that he isn't dead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember that, and I I knew Jack was trying to orchestrate it so that everybody got what they needed and that Elizabeth and Will would be saved while also saving Bootstrap. Um, I really wasn't worried about Bootstrap at this point because, as you said, you know Davy Jones isn't going to make it, so you have to assume somewhere along the line if Jones goes down, the crew will be free, same way the curse was lifted in Black Pearl. Um So that wasn't really a concern. But I do remember I was shocked that they actually went for it and killed Will. Even though this is a pirate movie and, you know, there is a romantic element, it's not a romance. So but because the Will and Elizabeth story has become so strong throughout, it was surprising that they almost didn't. There was a brief moment where you thought, they weren't going to end up together. But um, I think this was a good resolution on all counts as far as, like you said, Jack proving once and for all that he is a good guy and that it was his plan all along to make sure everybody had what they needed. Um, I don't think I, – I, I do think he it was his intention to become immortal. I think he was still wrestling with it, but I think he knew that if he was going to take Jones out – this was also part of his being a good man because he was going to have to be the one to do it. And as it turned out, it didn't matter. The decision was made for him because he had to save Will's life.
0: Right. Well, with Jones and the Dutchman out of the picture, Beckett and his men close in ...for the kill. They're going to finish the job themselves, but the Dutchman reappears with Will at the helm, and together they defeat Beckett. The curse is lifted from the crew of the Dutchman, and Will heads to make landfall, amongst other things, with Elizabeth, (laughs) Um, and uh, basically he leaves Elizabeth on this remote island... Everybody says goodbye to her, and the crew of the Pearl decide they're going off for another adventure, and they're going to set off with Barbosa in search of the Fountain of Youth. But when Barbosa takes out the nautical charts, he sees that the map has been cut out, and Jack Sparrow is back to where he was in the beginning all of all of this on a little rinky-dink boat, setting off for the Fountain of Youth himself. Let's talk about the end of the movie here because you had me laughing when we watched the movie last night when it came to Will and Elizabeth being on this island.
1: Well, you got up to make popcorn, which was, by the way, an interesting choice on your part to make popcorn at the end of the movie. But well, my... I do like to
0: eat and take notes and pay attention.
1: Or watch Orlando Bloom make out with her knee.
0: That's what had me laughing.
1: I mean, here's the thing. I get that they're married, and they allude to it in the second one that Elizabeth is still pure. Let's just say we'll we'll keep it on those terms. Even
0: though she's had multiple fiancés,
1: multiple fiancés, multiple kisses, <laughs> but on that end of it, they've made a point of saying that she's pure, and we yeah. will leave it at that for the those of you listening with the kiddos. Yep. That way, it doesn't raise any questions. Um. So I get that they're not going to really go there. Yeah. But at the same time, like why why her knee? <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean the whole thing with the boot, like it's kind of sexy. You know, it, it it's the scene is nice, obviously they're on a beach, the sun is going down. It it was a little sexy, but then it just gets ruined by him like nuzzling her. I I don't and, know. I didn't and, need to see that. I mean,
0: she was loving it though.
1: She was, and I mean, <laughs> she
0: was really smitten with that knee. <laughs> she... <laughs> yeah, she was. She was enjoying herself, which I, th- I think, in equal measure, also makes it sort of uncomfortable and weird.
1: Yeah, it 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 just kind of.
0: The whole thing is just very kind of off-putting and strange.
1: I I wish it, they either like went for more or nothing at all. It would have been you just, just gave fine. us a weird
0: piece of it. Here's the thing: if it would have just been her with the boot, it would have been enough.
1: Yeah, or even if you you know if it's they implied. make out a little bit, it's fine. I yeah. mean, I understand you have to set up the after the credit scene when she comes back with their son. Okay, fine. but it, I, again, just a weird piece of it. What I do like though, and I found really interesting is that will is obviously full pirate now. Mm-hmm. It, he is when he comes back and he you know he come he brings the Dutchman back up. Uh, what I thought was really interesting is that they um, they show it on prop culture, actually. and of course, on all of the you know bonus features of the DVD, the early concept art of Johnny Depp, looks just like what Will ended up being. The reason they scrapped that was because it was just a rough sketch. Johnny didn't have any input into his character yet, but they said that he looked too pretty. He was almost like one of those leading men pirates from back in the day. Yeah. And they wanted to rough him up a little bit more. Um, or as it turned out, glam rock him a little bit more. Right. Um, so they scrapped the idea, but that is literally what Will becomes.
0: And it, but it makes sense. It makes sense for Orlando Bloom. Yeah,
1: it fits for Will.
0: Um, I think in all here, I think it is a fitting end for everybody. Um, I think this is far and away much better than Dead Man's Chest. In my opinion, that's not saying a lot because Dead Man's Chest... It's okay on its best day. This is good. I think that for a movie that's two hours and 48 minutes long, it certainly feels faster than two hours and 48 minutes. Sure. Um. Nothing was as good as The Curse of the Black Pearl. And I mean that over the course of five films. But since we are really just focusing in on these three and the first trilogy, it goes without saying nothing was as good as that. And I wish that this was the last of the Elizabeth and Will storyline. I think that it, it arced. I think we saw it as far as it could go. I'm not interested in seeing more of it. Um, obviously, we do. But I think that by the time we got to this point, it was sort of beaten to death And you really did not need to expand on that story any further.
1: Well, at this point, I don't think it was their intention to do any more sequels. Or maybe if they were, they knew they were just going to follow Jack. Whether that was the writer's decision or... And I think the actors did have a little bit of input, too. Because, you know, these two were still pretty early on in their career. Orlando Bloom has now just done two trilogies. Because he did The Lord of the Rings and he did this. I have to imagine they're insanely burnt out. But... They're still young. Their careers are hot. They want to, you know, try and take on a different role and not get pigeonholed into this one thing. For Johnny Depp, he loves it. He's also had a full career of playing many different parts. So right. he's going to, you know, do Jack Sparrow until, you know, Keith Richards is just foreshadowing the rest of Johnny Depp's career as far as this goes. Um, So, yeah, I think it was a fitting end for them as a couple. Uh, And that storyline, what I was surprised with was how many doors they did leave open and how many seeds were planted for what does end up being the fourth pirates.
0: Yes. um, I had forgotten about that as well because I think I had only seen this movie once. Similarly, I went out and bought the DVD just so that I had the full trilogy but I don't think I took it out of the shrink wrap for a few years. So, in fact, I don't think I took it out of the shrink wrap until the week before they came out with On Stranger Tides because I remember thinking... What a great storyline. It's Barbosa and Jack (laughs) going after the fountain of youth and Blackbeard's there. This is going to be awesome. And I went back and I watched and I said, wait a minute. They planted this years ago.
1: Well, that was a story, a potential storyline for the second and third, but they just couldn't couldn't make it work. I don't know. I mean, I like that eventually when we do get to the fourth one, we'll talk about this, but. I, so I, I I like that they left the breadcrumb trail there. But I don't know that I like where they left Jack. I don't know that I like that he he's right back to where he started. I mean, I guess that does suit the character as far as self-preservation goes. Um, but I don't like that he didn't get the pearl.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can make a case for it, but I think that's kind of just Jack Sparrow. I think that we're... Be- we're led to believe that this has just been his whole life is his it's a roller coaster ride and he does just go with the flow I think of any character here in this franchise the one who has been the absolute most go with the flow and make it up on the fly has been Jack Sparrow so I think at the end of the day we know he's going to be just fine
1: that's the thing i'm not worried about him but i guess i just would i I wish he had a stronger finish because it's like we're back on tortuga okay there's the whole exchange with him and gibbs that gibbs let the boat go away because he wasn't paying attention um but i just feel like he should have had a much bigger exit
0: i think the argument can be made that he has the third best exit in this trilogy the first, I think, is Norrington, and the second, I think, is Beckett. I think Beckett going down with his ship and just standing there and taking it and not abandoning ship and literally being, not that he was the captain per se, but, you know, there's the, the, the phrases, the captain goes down with the ship and he just stands there and he just he lets the fire, he lets the explosions, he lets, he lets the damage take him, and you see him come crashing through that East India Trading Company flag. And, and he just sinks to the bottom of the ocean. It, it's a very
1: fitting end. He can't even give orders. He's just rendered speechless. What I like about it, too, is that it harkens back to what Norrington said in the beginning of, I'd rather see the Dauntless at the bottom of the ocean than in the hands of a pirate. And I think he realized that because the pirates rallied so hard, he doesn't want to live in this world where he can't control them.
0: Yeah. Earlier in the show, we were discussing Quantum of Solace and how Quantum of Solace is as bad a movie as it was when it was released, meaning it did not get better with the release of Skyfall. If anything, it got worse because Skyfall is just so damn good. When it comes to the second the second and third Pirates of the Caribbean film, for me personally, I rank them... The Curse of the Black Pearl, then there's a big drop-off, At World's End, and Dead Man's Chest.
1: I would agree with that.
0: But, does Dead Man's Chest get better with the release of At World's End? Because you yourself say you walked out of that theater angry with the cliffhanger that they left. But if you have the ability to sit and watch them side by side in chronological order, is Dead Man's Chest made better with this one on the other side?
1: I'm actually going to say no. Um, does it answer the questions that were left hanging in Dead Man's Chest? Sure, absolutely. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's a better movie because the issues that we've had with Dead Man's Chest were issues with just that alone, not bigger picture franchise issues. Um I think that if they maybe had planted that Jones was cursed because he wasn't doing the job in the second one, I would feel very differently. I think they let us in on that too late, especially because we knew that Jack knew the whole time that the heart needed to be replaced. So that also might have been, or no, they they do establish that in the second one, but the rest of the crew does not find out until almost halfway through the third. Right. I think they leave that hanging for way too long. Um. So as far as tying up the loose ends, I think they did a good job of it, but I don't think that it, necessarily addresses the issues that we had with at world's end got it and therefore does not make it a better movie
0: do you have anything else to add on this film or the pirates of the caribbean uh, pirates of the caribbean trilogy at least the first trilogy
1: as far as the trilogy as a whole um i will say that I, i mean you you said it there's nothing that can touch black pearl I don't think that we ended the trilogy anywhere near where we started out. And I don't mean that in the sense of everyone grew so much. I think that this became almost a different franchise than where it had initially started. And I don't really fault anyone for that, not even the writers. I fault the studio. You know, I had said, I I had you know, alluded to that last week, um, or I might have—I might have said it as much last week. I don't remember, but I think that the issues with this film were that the studio wanted to gun the second two out, and I understand that they wanted to do it and strike while the iron was hot and make sure that they had the actors and had the entire cast and crew locked into it. But I think that that was a big mistake. I think they should have take taken the time to let it breathe a little bit more, and I think that. That's why the story was rushed. And obviously, I mean, the most glaring error is that they went into production before the script was finished. And it's not fair that the franchise as a whole suffered because of it. Um, I mean, I still love Pirates. I still love the world that they created. But the second two films definitely bring Black Pearl down. But with all of that being said, I mean, I've had so much fun living in this world again this past month and really taking the time to delve into them. And um, I'm hoping that the journey that they take us on in the next one sort of ties uh, ties back into all of this and and really ties it all together because now we're back and forth. Is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? That's why we are going to hold off on reviewing the other two until we find out A definitive answer.
0: Yeah, because frankly, Disney does not know what the sixth movie is. Which is why I'm sitting here saying, then just don't do it. Just don't make it.
1: Honestly, I think that they were going to try and reboot it. And that's, you know, you can make a strong case for all of the red merchandise that they started uh, pushing. You know, as soon as you get off the ride, you've you've got all the boys pirate stuff and then they've got all the, the girls marketing for red. Um, And I really think that they were going to change the franchise to be more of a female dominated pirate world. Um, And that would have been okay. But I honestly think that because of the coronavirus and because so many films have been pushed back, I think they're going to need their cash cow. And I think that I, I think Johnny's probably coming back no matter what. Um, but I think that they might, because they brought back Will and Elizabeth, I think they might close it out with everybody. I'm hoping. I think that'll give more more levity to everything else.
0: I agree. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say as well. Where do you rank the Pirates of the Caribbean films Do you think a sixth movie is going to be made? Do you even want a sixth movie made? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio. Email monorealradio at gmail.com. News this week. We are getting the official, as temporary as it is at least for now, the official relaunch of the wonderful world of Disney. That is coming up this Thursday night with a showing of Moana on ABC. I'm excited that the wonderful uh, wonderful world of Disney is coming back. That's a very hard phrase to say. I don't know why. The wonderful world of Disney. I'm excited that it's coming back. I know it sort of seems redundant with Disney+, Plus, but there's just something about tuning in to ABC mm-hmm. to watch a Disney movie that reminds me of being a kid.
1: I think... You know, I appreciate the, the nostalgia factor, but I also appreciate that they are trying to bring people together during this time. I mean, sure, you can stream Disney Plus anytime you want, but the idea is to watch it as a community. What I hope that they do in the future, if they keep doing this, I hope they spotlight some of the lesser known films. Because what they're starting with, they're doing Moana, they're doing Big Hero 6, they're doing Up, and then they're doing Thor. The Dark World. Why, th- I, Why
0: yeah. Thor the Dark World? When it is the. You want to talk about a trilogy that really lost its way? Look no farther than yeah. what is probably the worst film in the MCU by far Thor the Dark World. Right. Why that one I have no
1: idea. Exactly. No, they picked a poor Thor, but I mean they also picked very current movies. So I feel like if we're going to you know, if you're going to have a family experience and and sit the kiddos down and have them watch, I would love for them to to pull the lesser known ones out.
0: Yeah, or why not pull something like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Because it's still relevant. Kids will still watch Snow White it does not have a long running time. So you could stretch that movie out over two hours, still get your advertising in, and pepper in little factoids that you can teach a child about what it was like developing that film and that it was new technology and that they had to invent this and what a genius Walt Disney was. I mean, you could make it edutainment.
1: Right, because like, if you put it... In terms of kids, can understand, you don't have Olaf without this. Correct. And I think that's an idea they can sort of latch on to.
0: Then we have the 60th anniversary of Pollyanna starring Haley Mills. I have never seen this movie.
1: I have. My mom loved Pollyanna. Um, But Haley Mills has gone on to become a Disney legend. So I like that they're celebrating this film. And same thing. I I like that. And maybe that's why they did go with Moana. Because then the next night they're doing something for Pollyanna. So you are, you know, spotlighting something that kids today probably know nothing about.
0: Yeah. And then it was announced by kind of Disney CEO Bob Chappick. Because... He is the CEO, but Bob Iger has assumed so much of the responsibility again. But really, it's Bob Chapic and I suppose that's who it's going to be moving forward. I don't know. Jury's out on that one. Jury's out on that. I know what people want, but right now it's Chapic and he announced that Josh DeMarro has been named the chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products and Josh Tomorrow is somebody that I think Disney Parks fans have come to recognize from Disney Parks blogs. He was sort of emceeing the opening of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway shortly before the parks closed, at least temporarily. Um, I mean... I like him as a figurehead. I like him as a, as a talking head. I don't. I personally do not know much about him to have an opinion, the way I do Bob Chappick. But I mean, I, I, I guess it's a thumbs up. I know my stocks went up today, so I guess <laughs> I guess it's a good thing.
1: No, and he has my stamp of approval because he turned on the music at Hollywood Studios. So I appreciate that he gave us. A little taste of it.
0: Yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us this week on Monoreal Radio. We hope you guys enjoyed our three-week discussion of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review. Uh, Same thing goes for the social media. Make sure you follow us and leave us a review on Facebook. We will be back next week with a Disney Plus roulette. Last month, it was Don't Look Under the Bed. Um, I can't wait to see what we land on this month. Make sure you check our social media, including our new TikTok page, um, which you guys have really been supporting, which has been a big surprise for both Jackie and I. We thought we're too old for TikTok, and you proved... You are, but it's Disney, so we like it. And you're never too old for Disney. And you're never too old for Disney. So keep an eye on the social media this week, I'm sure. We will release a video teasing which film we will review for Disney plus Roulette. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.